0: Hello and welcome to Coloured Souls. My name is Jamie Gladstone and here we will discuss current affairs in race policy, developments in education, African, Caribbean and South American history, as well as important texts in post-colonial literature. In this episode, we seek to explore how modern Britain's interpretation of diversity manifests with global majority faces leveraged as a method of demonstrating inclusivity in the educational institution, whilst their voices are silenced, both in the classroom and in the literature of the curriculum. Ultimately, we will unpack the question, is diversity a misnomer used in place of tokenism? The Equality Act 2010 lays out guidelines in order to eliminate discrimination, harassment and victimisation based on, amongst other criteria, race. Since its first incantation in 1965, its impact has been a matter for debate with diversity monitoring now standardised in job applications. Although supposed to be anonymous, well, it's, it's debatable. Whilst there has been a dramatic increase in the number of people of global majority appearing on government benches, in classrooms and conducting studies on diversity and inclusion, these success stories have not changed or abolished the negative stereotypes. Franz Fanon criticised the idea of dependent behaviour, which allows global majority of people access to traditionally European spaces as being fragile, for if he forgets his place, if he thinks himself equal to the European, he is punished with an inferiority complex. When Fanon's theory is viewed in the context of modern Britain, integration appears to imply conditional safety, with one of those conditions being assimilation. As such, a closeness to a system built on a Eurocentric epistemology, with an emphasis on displaying voiceless diversity, could act as a method of self-preservation, an opportunity to secure social mobility, a handout in order to support the image of the diversification of a nationalistic system. Aligning to a system in this fashion may place people of the club majority in a tokenistic role one in which their ethnicity is exploited in order to pass legislation or unpopular schemes such as the use of Rwanda as a site for the in scare quotes, processing of people arriving to the UK this in itself can prove to be a complicated situation in which we would need to look far deeper than the level of skin melanization and into societal interactions within specific communities which is far beyond the scope of this episode If we looked at the social-political positionality of race in Britain, we can see that, currently, there are a number of global majority faces sitting on the right of the political spectrum, who are, intentionally or unintentionally, positioning themselves as the spokespeople for marginalised communities, yet perpetrating the myth of a post-racial Britain. At the time of writing this episode, the Conservative Party had just confirmed Liz Truss as their new party leader and therefore the Prime Minister, and one of the publicly lauded Most Diverse Front Benches in Conservative History's first acts was to widen the poverty gap, thus directly impacting many global majority communities. This was subsequently U-turned, as you'd expect. But looking beyond what may prove to be a temporary leadership, the 2021 Sue report with the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities cited the misapplication of the term racism as diluting its credibility, and that accusations of institutional racism should be levelled against the institutions, which diverts the argument from the system to the individual. Local-level oppression is of course salient, but the deeper systematic problems need to be mined out. It is important to critically take the authorship of the report into account, particularly as Dr Sewell's glittering CV and considerable work with disadvantaged members of society, such as the charity Generating Genius, demonstrates racial authenticity that could influence thinking across all ethnicities. Equally, the attack on critical race theory offered by conservative MPs of the global majority could potentially have a detrimental effect on the fight for equality within global majority communities in our classrooms. Utterances heard from global majority MPs against critical race theory in the House of Commons include former Prime Minister candidate Kemi Badnock, who in October of 2020 stated, we do not want to see teachers teaching their white pupils about white privilege and inherited racial guilt. And let me be clear, any school which teaches these elements of critical race theory as fact or which promotes partisan political views, such as defunding the police, without offering a balanced treatment of opposing views, is breaking the law. Now, I know I've mentioned that quote a few times, but I think it's very, very important to keep coming back to because such dangerous rhetoric fueled the fire for many right-wing media outlets to attack the work of anti-racist scholars and movements, and for an attempt to shut down conversations around racial disparities in the UK. The unjust policies and disproportionate exclusion rates for global majority, and in particular African diasporic and South African students, and especially in particular Afro-Caribbean students, feeds the overrepresentation of global majority men in prison, which indicates that systemic racism sits at the rotting core of British society. It infects every sector to a greater or lesser degree, and limits the chances for progress within global majority communities. This only nurtures an environment of segregation, tearing through communities and forcing many voices to fall silent. Therefore, positing any debate over the social construct of race not being a divisive factor with global majority voices bolstering a discourse of a post-racial society Will only exacerbate the problem. As those on the inside of the master's house strive to shore up the flimsy walls, those identified as outside of the structures are learning how to take their differences. And make them strengths. In this context, is it any wonder why we see a distinct lack of meaningful representation for the global majority children in Britain's schools? The most recent census shows that 84.9% of school teachers identify as white British, with 3% from across the African diaspora. It's according to ethnicity facts on the government website, 2021, the mobility of the latter appears limited. With only 2.2% of African diasporic practitioners reaching the position of head teacher and 92.7% of white British heads. A study by Claire et al. found that global majority teachers were also more likely to have requests for CPD or continued professional development rejected than their white colleagues. Whilst schools are championing diversity, their classrooms are not currently reflecting the 8% of children with African heritage and a disproportionately low number of global majority teachers in education has resulted in a predominantly white teaching environment, according to the Runnymede Trust 2019. Combine this with an increasingly hostile environment, such as the Immigration Act 2014, the salience of anti-immigration, read brown-skinned immigration rhetoric, throughout the winning Brexit campaign of 2016, you can see that very famous poster with uh, Nigel Farage standing in front of a line of brown-skinned people saying something like enough is enough or the country's full or something ridiculous like that the Windrush scandal of 2017 and in 2020 run Priti Patel's newly minted draconian measures to strip Britons in particular those with dual nationalities of their status as British citizens which was the as we know nationality and borders bill an environment for diversity to truly flourish is being drowned in hostility promised by the home office so with a lack of truly diverse voices being heard unceasing hostility and globe majority faces front in divisive politics and policies diversity in britain's most influential spheres could be distilled down to nothing more than a token demonstration of diversity that only serves to exacerbate inequality The image of diversity is powerful The feeling of representation speaks to the soul And seeing a global majority face in the Houses of Parliament, on television or in the classroom Can have a more profound impact than simply fleetingly discussing influential black names during the month of October Which, according to Dan Linden, serves only to undervalue the overall contribution of black and minority ethnic people to Britain's past So are global majority teachers able to address the problem of representation in school, or is their presence a piecemeal solution? Coupled with the implied imbalance of inclusivity, one of hierarchical access, teachers of the global majority are posited as being in need of charitable opportunities born of a perpetual need to perpetrate injustice, which leaves them unheard and unable to teach a fair and balanced curriculum. When searching for a place in the world, many people seek to see themselves reflected back in the images they discover, and positive professional relationships with racially literate teachers can provide a stimulating and supportive environment in which to thrive, whether it's be in music, literature or religion. Representation and the pedagogy of place and experience builds a solid foundation which is akin to that elusive feeling of home. As a child, seeing yourself represented in the classroom could mean the difference between excelling and simply attending. This weight of expectation is then placed on the shoulders of global majority teachers, a crippling responsibility which is bound by red tape to a system scaffolded by a historically racist institution, with acts such as the Vagrancy Act of 1824, the Police and Criminal Evidence Act of 1984, the Commonwealth Immigrations Act of 1968, and the Immigration Act of 2016. Whilst these voices may reach into marginalised communities, the rigidity of the national curriculum exhibits a clear and present danger of the justification of discrimination. Examples of this have remained consistent through time, from Margot Thatcher's erasure of the 1950s multicultural curriculum in place of the national curriculum, to Michael Gove's introduction of fundamental British values in 2014. The foundations have been laid for the inability to easily diversify the classroom. The Runnymede Trust in 2019 found that structural barriers such as racism, including assumptions about capability based on racial or ethnic stereotypes, were everyday experiences for global majority teachers. In particular, these teachers spoke about an invisible glass ceiling and a widespread perception among senior leadership teams that BME, I don't like that phrase, but it's part of the quote, that BME teachers have a certain level and don't go beyond it. Now it's not to say that all global majority teachers find themselves in this position as there are teachers that are employed in truly progressive schools which challenge the system creatively and should form the framework for decolonised institutions. I've personally worked in schools on either side of this spectrum. However, this report shows that whilst diversity and inclusion are buzzwords on the government's agenda, the teachers are not feeling the support that the global majority politicians are telling them is there. The other side of the coin posits some teachers in the pockets of the oppressors in the same same fashion as some global majority parliamentarians. Their words and actions being used as tools to ensure there is no change from within, and that while schools can demonstrate their diversity, the teachers are ultimately voiceless. The words they use being borrowed in order to secure their place, to fit in, and to facilitate their social and professional mobility. In the words of Franz Fanon, the more the colonized has assimilated the cultural values of the metropolis, the more he would have escaped the bush. Therefore, the whiter he will become. It is here that global majority teachers risk positing themselves in a fragile Eurocentric sphere, whereby the very uniqueness that they can offer becomes nothing more than a token gesture of diversification as every action and every step is heavily scrutinized. Just how far they drift from the script may be the difference between acceptance and exile. Such conditionality fosters an atmosphere where traditional celebrations are mentioned in the days leading up to them, but forgotten quickly, just as the darker details of empire drop from the collective memory and the identities of teachers of colour and their cultures become slowly whitewashed to the point of abandoning what makes them important for a truly diverse educational institution. In the environments of token diversity, the imperial psychological legacy that is jingoism can survive, thrive, and be passed on to each successive generation. Allowing teachers to explore the curriculum and to tailor lessons for the students will promote relevance to the students thus inspiring them to think more critically about the world they inhabit, which in turn allows them to respond effectively to the social, political, and economic challenges of the 21st century world. With the content of many lessons residing firmly in Eurocentrism, stories that low majority teachers can bring are invaluable for the development of children from all ethnicities, as they serve to balance out the stories of humanity. For this reason, it is imperative that global majority teachers not only take their rightful place in the classroom, but also the significance of their stories must be heard. Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie warned of the danger of a single story, and in Britain's schools, that story is still often flavoured with the bittersweet story of empire. Teachers of all ethnicities have a wealth of knowledge, experiences and stories with which to draw upon, Yet even the mere mention of this can cause unease within an institution. The material benefit of a truly diverse faculty should never be undervalued. So as we move forward in the 21st century, we must collectively unveil the tokenism which is saturating the lived experience. Whilst there are many influential global majority voices in public and private spheres, we must critically analyse what they are saying and question the motivation of their discourse. For there to be lasting change, pressure must be kept up with every policy scrutinised, the government and education institutions held to account. In particular, the insidious narrative of Britain as a post-racial society due to globe-majority faces being strategically placed in right-wing seats. It is too easy to cover tokenism with public acts of diversification, acts which are then reflected in the oppressive vernacular of individual institutions. Simply diversifying the literature in classrooms will not solve the problems of inequality or the lack of representation of global majority students, nor will employing more global majority teachers. It will, however, allow future movements to build decolonized institutions on solid foundations. Decoloniality is in practice, not in theory, and all institutions need to work with educators of the global majority in order to present a fuller picture of the local, national and global communities that we all inhabit. This cannot and should not be under the guise of interest convergence, as that is a sure way to feed the pernicious machine of tokenism. Therefore, voices of colour should take centre stage at local and leadership levels. They must be heard and celebrated, for there is much to learn from a perspective that is not your own, especially as global majority and students in Britain still view the world through the narrow colonial lens of the national curriculum. Surely now is the time for white British students to share an experience in the world through a decolonized lens, and for students of the global majority to see themselves represented in some of the most influential spaces they're consistently exposed to. The voices that emanate from the globe majority in Britain should not be those of the masters, they should be their own, and they should be heard all year long. Thank you very much for joining me on today's podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast app to be notified every time a new episode comes out. And I will speak to you soon.